This is the Motherlands Podcast. The intention of this podcast is to provide evidence-based information related to fertility, pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum, as well as share positive birth stories. I am your host, Keely Semler. The podcast you're about to hear is all about moving the body with integrity and intention. I sat down with Pilates teacher and studio owner Justine Malik of Sapphire Pilates to discuss how pregnant and postpartum people can build more inner awareness within their changing bodies. I am here in the beautiful space called Sapphire Pilates in Silver Lake with Justine Malik, the owner and founder of Sapphire Pilates. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I thought it would be really interesting to talk to you today about your new space, what sort of clients come through your doors, what your philosophy is on your teaching. Maybe you could start there. Yeah, let's start there. Let's start with the name. So Mm -hmm. Sapphire, the stone, the gem represents many different things, including wisdom, intuition, clarity. And the word that really stuck out for me was wisdom. And so the invitation of the space is to connect to the wisdom of the body. And so my background in movement is rooted in Pilates and in yoga, but also in somatics and embodiment. And I've studied so many different modalities. And so this idea of connecting to this intrinsic innate knowledge that exists within all of us has had a profound impact on my own life, on my own body, on my teaching. And so I try to infuse my teaching and my sessions, my classes with this sense of connection to, you know, the greater act that we are doing. So we're more than just moving our bodies. We are, you know, processing whatever else is going on in our life. Maybe we're helping ourselves sleep better. Maybe we're helping ourselves digest conversations or food or whatever, but movement is this incredible tool and that was a huge inspiration for the space. You know, it's been a couple months. It's really new. And so the format, the structure of the studio is that we have mainly private sessions and duets. And then also we have semi-private classes, which are three to four people. And then there's mat classes. So those are the main offerings. And then there's also some workshops, Ayurveda and um, with my mom, and then there's teacher trainings. So those are kind of our main offerings. But With the group classes, what I love about them is that with three to four people, you can really get into the nuance and the detail of the work while still being in a group environment. And so a few of those classes are called nourish classes. They're open to everyone, but those are the ones that I've specifically designated for prenatal and postpartum women. But at the same time, anyone's welcome to come. And the idea is that you can move and have a Pilates practice that is nourishing and grounding, but also strengthening, you know, the periods of time, as you know, of pregnancy and after birth are so potent and there's so much change happening. And so we really target the different places in the physical body that offer the most support. And as a result of that, we're, we're engaging with different parts of the self and the life that are of the person, you know, that are non-physical as well. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I do want to get into how you support people in pregnancy and postpartum. I'm I'm super curious 
you know, as a doula and as a female health educator, childbirth educator, there's a tendency from my clients to always ask me, how can I strengthen my body Mm. for childbirth? And I find myself in this cycle of, of telling them it's not necessarily about strengthening right now. It's more about softening and engaging Mm. and locating Mm -hmm. some of these muscles and ligaments that you will need to use Mm -hmm. for your birth experience. Mm -hmm. But can you speak a little bit about how you support, let's start with pregnant women and, and how you teach classes, your nourish classes. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think the word that stood out for me when you said softening is super important. I think birth is experience that requires strength. We absolutely want to feel strong. That said, if we look at something like the pelvic floor, not only do we want the pelvic floor to be strong, we want it to be soft enough so that it can expand. So a breath is a huge focus whenever I'm teaching a private session that, uh, with someone who's pregnant um, or if I'm teaching the group class, the nourish classes. That. My friend Jacqueline um, says that breath work is core work, you know, and I, we, we, I really infuse the sessions with that principle. And so what does that look like? Right. It's like when you inhale, the breath travels down, breath comes in through your nose and it goes down. When you exhale, it travels up and then out. So if you're breathing in and out through your nose, we want the inhale to fill the lungs, press the diaphragm down, fill the entire abdomen, the belly, the sides, the low back, all the way down into the pelvic floor. So the pelvic floor is expanding. And then on the exhale, the pelvic floor contracts, it lifts and it goes back up. And so, and then the breath leaves your body, right? Like through your nose. So this practice can, the breath, the strength of the breath and like the relationship to the breath can be taken from just like a seated breath practice or laying down side, laying on your side is a great place to start. Like you could lay on your, let's say if you're laying on your right side, you put your left hand on your left waist, like right in between your ribs and your pelvis, four fingers in the front of your body, thumb in the back. That way you can feel the back of the body the side of the body and the front all at once. And you're putting it on the ribs? A little bit below the ribs. So mm-hmm. if you think about the diaphragm beneath your rib cage and then your pelvic floor, which is also a diaphragm, as this container, like an abdominal container, canister, you want that whole abdominal canister between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor to be expanding on the inhale. And then on the exhale, it draws in and the breath travels up and out. When I'm teaching a session or a class, we start there. We start with the breath work. Then moving forward more into like physical movement, we really want to be engaging the back of the body. You know, in Chinese medicine, they say that the front body is the yin, the back body is the yang. The yin is the tender, the soft, our face, chest, belly, organs of sexuality. Everything that's sensitive is in the front. Everything that is strong is the yang in the back. Back muscles, our glutes, our hamstrings, the back of our legs, right? Strong, robust, they can take a lot more. We want those muscles in the back to be like this strength that we can lean back into the strength of our own body. So if you think about what we're preparing for, right, in terms of birth, let's say even like breastfeeding, a lot of women will lean forward. Those muscles in the front will get tight, tense in the neck, right? If the upper back muscles are strong, right? So it's not a problem to lean forward, right? We want to have the strength in the muscles and in the body that if we go into these uncomfortable positions, like if you are like one feed, you just like are in an awkward position and you don't want to move because the baby's happy, you know, to have the strength to then 
come out of that position and not feel like, oh, my neck is tweaked for the rest of the day. Right. Right. Like, oh, and then having movement tools that you can like release them. That's obviously in the most, in the postpartum situation, but in a pregnant situation, when we're dealing with someone who's pregnant, I'm focusing on the mother's back body quite a bit, like strengthening the upper back, strengthening her glutes, outer hips. We want that pelvis to feel stable. How much is happening in the body, right? How much expansion is happening in the pelvis to make space for the baby, but also as the belly grows, right? Everything is just feeling less stable. There's so much more relaxing in the system. All these things, we want to create a support. Do you want to share with the listeners what relaxin does for the body? In, in a sense that like it just makes it more flexible mm-hmm. and like so and same thing on your period right yeah. like you as someone who is quite mobile it is uh, and like you know there's so many people in the world who are like oh I wish I was flexible blah 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 but actually if we were to compare the true to strength and flexibility they're on a spectrum if you think of it like on a spectrum strength is just so much more important right without strength we can't stand up straight so if you have something like relaxant in your system then it's just making things even more challenging just to, to stand up straight, to keep the pelvis from tipping forward too much so you're in a pelvic, anterior pelvic tilt. For preventing, We don't want the hip flexors, those are those muscles in the front of the hip, to be stabilizers, right? Those are mobilizers. They, they help us move, right? Instead, we want the glutes to be really strong. We want the pelvis to feel supported from below, but also from above. We want strong back muscles. We want strong abdominal muscles. Now, as the belly expands, right, we don't want strong rectus abdominal muscles. For women who over-engage those rectus, that's a recipe for disaster potentially. Yeah. So it's interesting we're talking about this because I I have noticed when I support clients in childbirth, there is a tendency to clench mm. their bottom it yeah. in, in active labor. And I have to tell people, are you clenching? Because you are signaling to the baby don't come. If you're clenching your bottom, you're clenching your pelvic floor, or you're tightening in general because you're trying to resist all of the sensation you're feeling, it's sort of an uphill battle for your body and your baby. So Mm-hmm. How do you encourage your clients to engage the pelvic floor, but also soften the pelvic floor yeah. and soften their seat and not be so tense or tight? Yeah. One thing that I find super helpful is learning how to engage the inner thighs properly. If you, let's say, put a squishy ball between your knees and you hug in on that ball, you hug your inner thighs together, try to pop the ball, there's no way to clench the glutes. They can't, right? If you're in internal rotation, you can't cl- clench your glutes. It's just once you understand some of the mechanics of how the anat- like anatomical mechanics of how they function in the body, you start to see little pathways and patterns of like, oh, I see they're clenching too much with their glutes. Let me give them something, obviously in a Pilates context, bring the knees together in a birth context. No, Would actually, be, yeah, that's brilliant that okay. you're saying that because, um, and I think we've talked about this before, yeah. just the way that I've learned anatomy with the pelvis, you have the pelvic inlet, mm. which is at the top of the pelvis when the baby starts to engage in the pelvis in early mm. and active labor. And then the pelvic outlet is at the bottom of the pelvis going on their way down through the birth canal. And yeah. when it's time to push, 
when you turn your knees inward, mm-hmm. you create more space in the outlet. So mm-hmm. all of this is making sense because yeah. the same concept, if you've got a squishy ball in between your knees, yeah. you're not putting any tension on on the outlet, right? Yeah, it makes sense, right? So I, I do a lot of sideline work with clients, you know, um, both for arm work laying on their side. And, and it's so brilliant working with the Pilates equipment because the springs provide so much resistance um, and it's, you can customize it if someone needs less or more. Um, but I've in recent years, I'd say even just the last three to four years, been focusing a lot more on incorporating internal rotation because it's something as someone who has practiced so much yoga and Pilates, it's just not inherent in these practices. We are mm. constantly doing things like if we go back even, you know, 15 years, like everyone wanted to be in lotus position, right? Like that is such a deeply externally rotated position. That's really not appropriate for a huge popular, like swap of the population. Like most people probably don't need to be in forcing their knees and their hips into lotus. That said, a lot of us feel good when we do hip openers. I think hip openers, you know, things like pigeon or like a double pigeon kind of thing, sitting cross-legged with your shins, those can feel really good. But we want to be able to go both directions. If you go external, you want to be able to go internal. And it's a place that a lot of people, pregnant or not, people just don't bring attention. Well, it's funny you you say this because I find that um, when my clients come to me when they're pregnant, mm-hmm. they've spent all of their life sucking in. Yeah. What does that do? <laughs> Totally. On the body and the baby when we need to soften and expand. So it's interesting because I find, yes, you need both, but I think women tend to lean more towards that sucking in and um, tucking in so much that how does that impact our bodies long term? I mean, surely it does. How does that impact our breath, right? Right. If you're constantly sucking in because you want your jeans to fit or you just want your stomach to look flat, right? And like bodies aren't flat. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So the, that is not only impacting the breath pattern, but there's so many psychological impacts of that that are subconscious sometimes. I mean, sometimes people are pretty aware of it, but there's a couple of things I see. I mean, like clenching glutes, huge thing, especially postpartum. I think when things feel pretty unstable postpartum, the tendency is to get support from wherever you can, right? Like Mm. the body is really intelligent in that regard. It's like, I'm going to help. These muscles are big. I'm going to help. Even if, you know, so we want the other muscles, we need to strengthen the other muscles too, so that it's not just like the glutes that are clenching you and putting you into slight external rotation. So really working with neutral in the spine is huge. And, and, And glute clenching can also impact something like a diastasis. So if someone has weaker abdominals from birth or there is a tearing, thinning, um, learning how like how the pelvis and the rib cage and how that relationship is so impactful. I mean, glute can, clenching is one thing, but then another thing I see is upper abdominal gripping where, you know, it's like, which is what we call coning, coning totally. And mm-hmm. so, and, and this is something that I see even with people who are not pregnant, you know, there's this feeling of tension sometimes in the shoulders and neck, and they're not sure where it's coming from. And then you know, sometimes I'll have people, I'll like feel their abdomen or they'll have like a shirt on that I can see their abs and they're like really toned abs, especially in the upper part. And they're like, no, I don't work out. 
And I'd say, well, how does that happen when someone has like defined abs? Well, because they're always engaged mm-hmm. and they can't breathe fully because it's so tight. So something like skin rolling, like learning how to manipulate the skin with your hands so you can just release some of that scar tissue, release some of that fascia that's so bound, you mm-hmm. know, and you can't take a full breath. The thing about the body is that these patterns develop for a reason, right? They're doing, the, the body's doing something to protect you, to to give you a sense of standing up straight as best it can. And if that, you know, whatever, it's a coping mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. So similarly, if we have developed a coping mechanism, whether it's, you know, disassociation or anger, this is in, you know, more psychological terms, then we need to repattern, right? So that's what we're doing in a Pilates context. We're teaching the body, here's another way, right? Like, oh, here, let me teach you how to breathe well so you can engage your abdominals, like your deep obliques, your deep, um, transverse abdominals. And this is just a different way to create that support that you were looking for. And so that I always think of it like a white knuckling, that gripping, mm. that's never anything we need ever. Well, and the white knuckling often is, um, an indication that people psychologically are trying to control mm, or control. hold on to totally. something. Um, so you going back to what you said about the spine, um, I know that this is a very common ailment in pregnancy, which is sciatic pain. Mm. So can you talk a little bit about what are some practical ways pregnant people can approach sciatica pain? Yeah. You know, the most acute form like of sciatic pain that I've worked with was with a client, a dear like a client I've worked with for a long time, her dear friend. And we ended this is early COVID and she was in a lot of pain and I got a text from my client who was like, Hey, how far along in a pregnancy are you comfortable working with someone? I was like, what do you mean? Like anything, you know, she's like, well, she's in act, like she's in early labor. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Let, she's like, well, she's in a lot of pain. So we ended up doing a zoom session and the big thing is one, get a wedge or so, or like make a pillow mound and lay on your back on this supported incline. So you're not, you know, putting any, um, pressure on the venicava, but Stretching, there's three hamstrings behind each of the legs. So there's a central one, there's an outer one, and an inner one. The hamstrings are super impactful. We want them to be strong. We also need them to not be super tight. So that's usually a place that I'll start and kind of see can they go in those three directions. So what does that look like? It's like laying on this wedge and Um, there's other ways to stretch the hamstrings that are not supine if you'd rather just not lay down. Um, but basically have like a strap, yoga strap or a belt, or if you have a magic circle, you can put that around your foot. You hold, let's say your right foot goes in the ring or the strap and you hold it with your hands and you pull down while you're pushing up with your heel, you're opposing it and tipping down with your tailbone. Can you do that? On your side, because I'm just thinking about people that are pregnant and laying supine is not... Right, which is why the wedge would be there, right? So like making a pillow mount. So in Pilates, we have what's called a wedge pillow. I'm sure it exists in other modalities as well, so that you're not fully supine. You're in this incline, which is makes it a lot safer and still comfortable. You can do this kneeling, like standing could work too. You just would need something for balance, but you're pulling down, or if you're standing, you're flexing the foot and kicking down. Mm -hmm. So like if you were standing, let's say you would, you were by your bed, you'd have one hand on like the bed frame and you can put your 
right leg on the top of the bed and you would lean just slightly forward. Obviously there's a belly there, so you wanna be careful. You're not squishing the belly, but forward in the center, that one would be tricky standing just cause the belly, but then you would do the medial hamstring, which is the innermost one. So you would take the right foot a little bit to the right and then you would lean forward. The central hamstring that we were I was talking about first deals with like the knee the most. The innermost hamstring deals with foot and ankle. And then the last hamstring, which you'll take the right leg slightly across the midline um, to the left, just slightly, is a little bit on the IT band. And this is similar, that's lateral hamstring, outermost hamstring, and the IT band area. And so this is where the sciatic pain generally goes down. So we're trying to create a spaciousness across that pathway so that if the nerve is being pinched, we can start to create a little bit of spaciousness. Other work that we can do that I do really enjoy sideline work is to strengthen the outer hips and glutes. And mm. that kind of thing also we're creating, we're bringing blood flow to the region. We're engaging the muscle so it doesn't feel like it's just so compressed. Right. And so the more we can strengthen the muscles around the sciatica, the area, like the whole like SI right. joint, the, the better, you know? So, and, and the other thing, you have to take a look at a lot of other things. They might be right. overcompensating in their hip flexors, you know, and be really tight in their psoas or something like that. But I have found that the sideline work and dressing the hamstrings has been impactful. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Have you ever had a client who's pregnant come to you and say, oh, you know, my doctor, my midwife says that the baby's in an unfavorable position, mm. like breach or transverse. Um, have you had that happen? You know, I have. And I think one thing that's important with like, I'm a Pilates teacher and mm -hmm. I've studied a lot of things, my scope of practice, you know, and I've studied perinatal work. Um, and I, you know, I don't have the training to really address that specifically. So I really, I try to work with the, the doula or like if there's certain movements that the doula or the midwife recommends, I will incorporate them. We I should really, yeah. we really got to do something together because yeah. I feel like I know, it would be so great. it's, yeah, so much of this overlaps because yeah. for example, if someone, if someone's baby is breech doing some, what's called pelvic rocking or pelvic yeah. tilting or cat cow can make a world of difference and create more totally. space. And we do those things in all of the sessions. So I think what's beautiful about a practice like Pilates, especially if it's prenatal focused in this in this situation, if you are engaging with the body holistically, like if you're approaching it holistically and you're, I'm going to work with the upper body, I'm going to work with the lower body, I'm going to make sure I move the spine all the ways, you will overlap with other modalities, what their suggestions are, as long as you're approaching it from this like holistic, intelligent place. Mm -hmm. It's really remarkable, right? The body only does so many things. So what you've studied might have different language than what I've studied, but if we both understand what it is to create movement in the spine and like to move the pelvis into an anterior tilt and then into posterior, you know, a cat cow is going to be great for so many things. Right. You know, so, but doing a million cat cows when your baby is breech can also be a detriment too. Like you don't need to sit at home totally. all day for hours on end doing cat cow, but it is a practice to do maybe a couple a day and yeah. see how that feels in your body and mm -hmm. to encourage the baby to move. Yeah. I, I, I find that I run into this issue with, with sometimes with clients just as a doula, helping people feel like they're safe in their bodies, but not mm -hmm. trying to control the outcome yeah. of how their birth might unfold or how their labor might start, you know? Totally. And I think 
on that note, one thing that I deal with a lot is when people, they don't feel like they have agency about what they can and can't do movement wise. There's a lot of fear. Well, yeah, especially if they have a doctor who's like, just come in and I'll do all the lab work or I'll check your vitals and I'll tell you if you're doing well. Like, you know, and it's so much more, there is so much more depth to the conversation that's necessary. And one thing, like one example is rotation. There are some people who are like, oh my God, you're pregnant. Don't twist. Mm. It's like, okay, well, what if you're on your second kid and your toddler needs to be picked up and you know, you're pregnant, like you're not going to twist to the right to pick up your kid. Like, absolutely not. Like there's no way that we evolved as human beings that we couldn't, you know, and should you like be in a pretzel and like hooking your elbow outside your knee while you're pregnant and then like doing a prayer twist? No. Should you like stand up tall and twist open to the right and open your chest? Yes. You know, like these movements can be so healing and wonderful. And yet there's this fear, like you're saying from the doctor and from like other medical texts that are very male focused, um, you know? And so they're just, as you and I have talked about many times, there's just less focus globally, right? Like, and medically on the female body. And so as this is something that mostly women are dealing with, then there's just not much to go off of. And so there's so many tools I think available that we just need to hopefully bring to the masses. So people understand like you actually can do this. Yeah. That's empowering. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And even what you were saying about focusing and, and examining the breath in your classes, I find that in my prenatal classes or my sessions with clients, I always, always, always talk about different ways to breathe because Breathing is a way to expand and create space in the uterus, but it's also a way to release control again. Mm. And like, for example, there's a big difference between nostril breathing and mouth breathing in labor. We don't really want to be breathing through the nostrils because that has a tendency to be up in the head, in the mind, Mm. controlling the input and the output of the breath. And in labor, we want to release it all. We don't want to control the breath. We just want it to exit the body. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so many impacts. I think the, of the breath, you know, releasing control is a big one, releasing fear. You know, there's so much that comes up during pregnancy, whether it's like stress about how the birth's going to go, stress about finances, stress about, oh, I'm not sleeping already, you know, and it's like, you know, and it's like all of these things, impact us and they live in our body and so and also just the anxiety of not knowing yeah you know that's huge how can we live in our bodies with this big unknown yeah you know one of my favorite teachings is that if you can connect to one piece of the body you can connect to the whole because each of the pieces are you you know so the pieces of the body are the whole body and so that might mean like we're asymmetrical, right? Symmetry is a fallacy in the body. It just doesn't exist. Well, right? even the pelvis. Even the right? Look at the organs, right? The, the bones exist to protect the organs, right? They are the internal architecture, brilliant internal architecture. But we have two lungs, right? We have a left side and right side. The left side has two lobes. The right side has three to make space for the heart, right? And then we have two kidneys, right? One's a little higher than the other because the liver's on the right side. So the one on the, the kidney on the right is going to be lower. Generally, some people's organs are flipped, which is wild. Mm-hmm. But um, right. the bone structures mirrors that of the organs, right? So they're protecting these internal systems. And so the bone structure is inherently asymmetrical. That's just how it is. Like that is perfect. And what we, you know, that's just bodies just develop the way they do, right? Whether right. you have scoliosis or not, or right? And so- it's just interesting how 
I don't know, this need for symmetry is like, and perfection, right? It gets tied up with control and wanting things to feel the same, you know, all yeah. those things. Yeah. So, okay. Let's talk a little bit about postpartum mm. and the postpartum body supporting the postpartum body physically. But I'm wondering how you may support clients through postpartum emotionally or mentally in your classes in yeah. terms of body awareness, body consciousness, and, and, and the change that they are experiencing where it might feel a little bit foreign to yeah. them. Yeah, I think in so many regards, it's like you have a new body. You know, mm -hmm. it's been through this experience, whether it's a cesarean birth or a vaginal birth, it is a different body. And so I love that you just said cesarean birth mm, because it is a birth. It is a birth. <laughs> yeah. I got that from a podcast I listened to maybe six to seven years ago and it just stayed with me. All birth is birth and, and um, all birth is natural. All, yes, absolutely. So, um, and I, even clients who don't who have had a cesarean even if they say c-section i'll just usually say cesarean birth back and it's sometimes they impacted by it and sometimes they don't even Same. notice and you know what it's just a choice that i've made to honor both all you know types of birth and so sometimes there's a lot you know with uh, like you're saying emotional and again i try to be clear on like scope of practice of like I'm here for the person but not taking it on as someone who is quite sensitive and empathic I need to be conscious of that yeah but that said this work is intimate and so we're dealing with people's bodies and it just stuff comes up and how to hold space for that similar to prenatal Pilates Pilates practice like there's a lot of focus on the posterior chain the back of the body and there's a lot of focus on Unlike pregnancy, a lot of focus on reconnecting with the abdominals, right? We're rebuilding these neurological pathways to a part of the body that hasn't been engaged with muscularly in the same way um, for nine months, right? It took a long time to, to grow this baby. It's going to take some time to heal. Birth is traumatic for the body. So to heal from it and rebuild takes time. And so I thankfully have had lately, like the last few years, my clients that have been postpartum have been quite patient like I haven't had like I you know in all the textbooks or like mm. different stories and it's like I want to run a marathon it's like I personally haven't dealt with that right away and so oh my um, gosh yeah, yeah I have clients that are like they're holding their baby they just had their baby like two days ago and they're like so when can I start running again yeah and I'm like whoa, whoa. let's start with a walk Maybe or like in the how room. about no let's yeah. not start with any walking or running let's start with resting and yeah. bonding yeah. first and foremost totally. you know before anything the yeah and I healing think, and healing the walking is actually a really beautiful healing thing so like once you're you know able to and you're it could be a really beautiful bonding experience i think to walk with your baby absolutely Short walks. we're talking around the block yes yeah. you know not a six but, mile walk you know? but also not if your hours or a couple days postpartum no. like that's a time for rest and healing but yes when you feel like you've gained more energy when you've crossed that threshold of like the initial high of birth, you've come down yeah. from it, you've gotten rest, you have support in your home, whether it's family or friends or a postpartum doula or a night nurse or whatever, yeah. then you can start like moving and en engaging yeah. the body again. But right. yeah. I, yeah. So by the time I'm working with someone, it's generally past the six week point. Like 
there are ways to stretch and move and gently engage before like you're cleared for exercise. I'm generally not taking someone on the equipment anytime before that. So six weeks. Well, I roughly, roughly give or take. right. Like that's such an arbitrary number. I mean, like some women haven't stopped bleeding then. So let's make sure that's stopped before you're coming in. When someone comes back into the studio though, I, and this is something I repeat all the time that the integrity of the movement is the focus, not the range of motion. Mm-hmm. Right. Our priority is the integrity. I don't care how big the movement is. So if we were talking about like feet and straps, leg circles, which a lot of people like, who cares how big they are? I mean, especially postpartum, like the inner thighs, the pelvic floor, like everything does not need to be stretched past a healthy range. Right. So and they're still relaxing in the system. Right. So we don't need to go into that flexibility. Instead, maintaining a smaller range with a little bit more integrity and support will actually be more Better. beneficial. Yeah. yeah better in the long run. So if someone walks through your front door and is like, I just had a baby. I want to take a Pilates class. Do you have sort of like a, do you ask them a couple questions about if they're really truly prepared to move again? Or what do you say? I usually chat with them, you know, and like ask them like how it's been going, how they're feeling. If they bring up some stuff that feels really unique to them, you know, that's just pretty challenging. I generally will suggest not coming to a class and instead coming to a one-on-one where we can be a lot more, you know, just focused and just customize the work so that if it needs to be toned down, that it's not feeling like, okay, you do this, everyone else do this in the class, even though it's just three people. Um, sometimes it feels really good when that happens in a class where it's like, okay, Keely, I'm going to put you on this. Mm-hmm. And like everyone else, like you guys keep going with it. Like it feels like, oh, you're taking care of me. You kind of have to read the room a little. Like some people really like that attention and some people are, their feelings get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> or their ego gets hurt, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, the nature of a group of three people is that I'm tweaking it for everyone though. So it's not usually like, okay, Keely this and then everyone else. You know, it's more like Keely this, person two this, person three this. Um, and so it just feels like you're getting a lot of attention. But yeah, I do, we definitely talk through what's going on and I kind of see what they bring up and then I'll ask some more questions about what their healing journey has been so far, what their movement history was pre-baby, those kind of things. I love that. You had mentioned earlier on that there's another offering at Sapphire Pilates one-on-one Ayurvedic sessions. Mm. Can you speak a little bit about that? I know that your mom, Lily, is involved here. Does she take on prenatal or postpartum clients? Yes. Oh, great. Yeah. So my mom, Lily, is a um, an Ayurvedic practitioner. She's been studying Ayurveda for about nine years, and we have a little office and at the studio, and she's able to work with people one-on-one. And we also do workshops at the studio, like Ayurvedic chats, basically, where you can, it's like a 90 minute conversation. You can ask questions for sure, but we did one on the transition to spring and we're doing one coming up on just an intro to Ayurveda, but she loves the work of working with prenatal and also postpartum. I think there are ways to eat and, you know, whether it's other lifestyle practices, like oil massage or anything that can be really beneficial or like just temperature of foods like heat absolutely we want warming going foods. all going over those things raw food is harder to digest i mean like so many people women's our digestion is impacted when they're pregnant and like dealing with gas and bloating and like all those things there are even ways- if they're not pregnant right totally just all people <laughs> all these things i mean there are little tweaks like that 
that are really great, but there's also some, maybe she'll, she'll basically look at what you eat and like how you're sleeping, those kind of things really comprehensive in terms of what's going on in the woman's life and seeing what are some ways that you can eat, change your diet, change your lifestyle practice that are more nourishing and more nurturing so that you feel balanced, that you feel like you have more energy. This is for everyone pregnant or not, that if you are really sleepy after you're eating, that usually means you didn't digest your food well. So maybe you need to use more pepper or like something, some sort of spice that helps you break it down, you know, or maybe you need some ginger tea or like, you know, or a digestive enzyme yeah, or whatever. Right. Totally. Yeah. There's different herbs that she knows that are wonderful supports. I love that. Maybe, maybe I need to interview her oh on God, the podcast. Great. <laughs> I love it. So how does your philosophy on movement differ from some of the other studios mm. that you have been to or know about either locally in Los Angeles or in other places. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, the, again, Pilates is having a moment. It's super trendy. And I think there really is a time and place for these um, group classes that are, you know, six on the smaller side, but eight, 10, 12 people on a reformer. Um, I really wanted to offer something that's the antithesis to that in the sense that that class, that group class with 12 people is appropriate for a healthy young body. You know, someone in their 20s, 30s who knows how to move. Um, in some situations, you might have someone um, who's new to Pilates who feels comfortable and like can kind of get the basics, but it's very challenging to get into detail when there's 12 people. And as right. a teacher... I am an experienced teacher in a sense, right? I've been teaching over a decade. Um, I can teach. I am capable of teaching a lot of people at once. But when it comes to what I choose to teach and what I want to do, it's not that. I, I, for a mat class, I love it. I think the energy in the room feels good. I think you can really have a safe class when it's just the mat. But when you are talking about a piece of equipment that you really can injure yourself on if you don't know how to use it properly. Um, I just don't think it's worth the risk of having that many people. It's also a ton of work. My yeah. nature is to, I, I know it's not possible when I teach a group class, I want to give everyone just as much attention as I would give them in a private. So my friend has joked that it's like, when I teach, it's like whack-a-mole. I'm just like running from person <laughs> to person, like helping them. And I'm giving them adjustments and tweaking where the pelvis is, tweaking where their shoulders are. And so that they can get the most out of the movement and um, most muscle engagement, most efficient um, engagement, et cetera. And so that, you know, there is no way to have your eyes on everyone if there's 12 people. And also the tendency with group classes now is everyone's getting really creative. And I say that like with quotation marks and <laughs> this idea of creativity has, I think, taken a turn from it's so far removed from what the essence of the exercise was that it's like a riff of the exercise, but some of the teachers don't even know where the exercise originally came from or what exercise originally was the source of that movement that they're teaching. And so I don't teach classically. I don't teach the way that Joseph Pilates taught. I am a contemporary teacher. That said, I have a knowledge and understanding of where the, what the lineage of the practice is. And so I, my, my teaching is rooted in the work of Pilates while also having all these other influences. Um, and so the creativity thing I think has gone so far that it's, 
the safety issue comes up, you know, like having people stand on the reformers in weird ways, like people fall in classes. And it's like, you know, I hear because I teach teacher trainings, people will tell me when they're in a class, like, oh, someone fell and we'll talk about how the teacher handled it. It's hard to handle it. Well, like, you know, when people are trying to prioritize the flow of a class and well, you kind of have to disrupt the flow of the class and make sure that person's okay. Right. You know? And so this idea of creativity, I think has to have a boundary or some sort of, you know, limit to it that you're not being so creative that you've lost the principles of Pilates, Mm -hmm. whether that's connection to the breath. I mean, I can't tell you how many group classes I've gone to just in this city where there's not a single breath cue which is astounding. Wow. Yeah. Astounding, right? Like how do you teach a mind body practice? It's something like Pilates that is so intrinsically related to the breath without teaching the breath. And so another thing that I've seen a lot is, um, the move, let's, if we look at the movement of the spine, you know, it moves forward into flexion, backwards, extension, side to side, lateral flexion, or it can rotate. So I think it's important to move the spine in all of the directions in a class, every class. There's no reason why in a 50 minute, 55 minute class, unless you're working with someone on an injury, different situation. But even if you're teaching a targeted class, like I know there's studios that do like glutes and abs, you know, mm-hmm. um, ass and abs class, but <laughs> I just did that yeah, the yeah. other day at Barry's. <laughs> there you go. Right. And even in a class like that, you still want the full body to get some sort of attention, right? And there's certain exercises, if you think of like a plank, which are beautiful in the sense that their shoulders are stabilizing, the legs are working. Yes, the core is, yes, you know what I mean? And so there's ways to do movement in a class, like to move the spine in a way that feels um, intentional and that everything is being addressed without it um, feeling like certain parts are being neglected. And so the thing that I've been noticing is that a lot of teachers either skip back extension completely which is wild since we sit at desks and you know round our chest right yeah which that's not the biggest issue actually i see in bodies i see a lot of people with it um their pelvis yeah tilted back like in an anterior tilt and their hip flexors are tight and then they're actually in a back bend but we we want to teach healthy spine mechanics spinal mechanics and so um it's something that's missing and so that all of those things are super important to me when i look at who I'm hiring for as, as teachers, for example, and also when I'm teaching the teacher training and just hoping that regardless of what direction someone wants to take their Pilates practice and teaching after they do a training here, that they understand the mechanics of the body, that they can safely and intelligently take the movement whatever direction they want. If they want to go more athletic, great. They want to go more nourishing and rehabilitative, great. You know, there is a way to move the body and challenge the body and yet also be gentle. You know, gentle doesn't mean no work. Mm-hmm. Gentle doesn't have to mean um, easy. Yeah. You know, you can be, you can nurture and nourish the body and deeply engage the muscles, right? In a way yeah. that feels um, good for yeah. the nervous system, good for the muscles, you know? So you walk out of a session feeling taller, not like, oh, I can't walk. Yeah. <laughs> it's not aggressive. Yeah. Well, I think that's just a testament to your philosophy and your practice that you are more invested in quality Mm. over quantity, how many clients you get in your door, you know? So amazing. I feel like this has been such an informative conversation about how to care for women in all walks of life, but specifically in pregnancy and postpartum. And 
your little studio is so beautiful and so sweet. And I can tell that you put in so much love and intention into this space. And I know that your clients can feel that coming in here. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully we can collaborate more in the future on supporting this demographic and make sure everyone in the neighborhood, if you live in LA, if you're on the East side, please come to Sapphire Pilates. I think, are you going to do some online stuff too for the people that I'm hoping? Yeah. I'm hoping the mat classes first will be available online. Like you can attend virtually as well. It's a bit of a one woman show at the moment. So (laughs) everything is me. Um, So everything's one step at a time, one baby step at a time. But yes, I would love to do a workshop with you and I can't wait. We'll get it on the calendar. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Um, I'll make sure I'll include all of your information about who you are and where people can find you in the notes. But thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share with friends and family and stay tuned for the next episode.